and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, everyone. I'm Babs Wells, the children's librarian department head at the Greenville Public Library. I'm the former co-chair of the Century Storytime Support Group for Youth Service Librarians, as the group was named at the time. Um, I'm also a member of a very fun committee. That's the Kids Reading Cross Rhode Island Committee. And if I'm not at the library, you can often find me out in the community doing outreach. And currently I'm doing outreach at uh, Head Start, which I enjoy very much. Hello, I am Lisa Lasinski. I am also children's librarian and department head at Barrington Public Library. Um, I have been the, also I'm following Babs. I was the sensory, um, I call myself the COVID co-chair because I shared that spotlight with Maria um, after Babs um, vacated the chair. It was me during COVID. So it was an interesting time. I think we learned a great deal. Let's see what else about me. I have been here for 15 years. I've been head of the department for five. I also am on the Kids Read Across Rhode Island Committee. Love that work as well. Also do outreach um, at the Barrington Y, the Barrington Land Trust, and I love yoga and walking my dog. Hi everyone, my name is Maria Arcado. I'm the bilingual children's librarian at the Pawtucket Public Library. I'm also the chair of the Sensory Friendly Inclusive Group and the chair of the Rhode Island Latino Books Award uh, Committee. Uh, very busy with those two groups. And um, for fun, I like walking also, and I like singing. I'm a children's librarian, so I'm singing all the time, <laughs> either with the kids, and it's not with the kids, it's in my car. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me. Um, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about the work that you all did or currently doing um, for the Sensory Friendly Inclusive Group and um, about sensory friendly programming. But first, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? So I'm a huge audiobook listener. I live in Exeter and I drive to Barrington for work every day. And for Rhode Islanders, especially native Rhode Islanders, oh my gosh, you drive all the way to Barrington from Exeter. <laughs> and I've been doing it for a long time. Um, so it it lends me a lot of time in my car to listen. Um, I just finished Finding Me, Viola Davis's memoir. Definite recommend for people, um, especially if you grew up in Rhode Island. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. She narrates it. And it's just lovely to listen to. And another favorite that I, I finished listening to was um, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And that is incredible. If you haven't read it, read it or listen to it. Um, I do know it's supposed to be turned into a mini series on, oh gosh, maybe Hulu. Um, and Brie Larson's supposed to play the uh, protagonist in it. But that's a wonderful book about how women, um, it's, it's a fiction, it's a novel, but it's about how women kind of um, came to work in the field um, and not just be stay-at-home moms. So it was really great. And then since I am a children's librarian, a um, couple of them that are my favorites lately, I love Finally Seen by Kelly Yang and Midnight Children by Dan, I think it's Geminhart. Um, those are awesome as well. So that's for me. I can go on and on, like you said, as librarians, <laughs> recommend a ton, but I'm gonna stop here. Uh, what I've been reading is, um, I just finished The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell and I'm in a book group uh, I've been in a book group with uh women's book group for gosh, I don't even know. I was trying to remember how long, but 
I say that all the time now. How long? Oh, I don't know. 15, 18 years. But uh, a friend of mine, it was her turn and she picked that. And it was so much fun. It was a combination of the board game Clue and the Great British Bake Off. Uh, it will appeal to readers of mysteries and avid bakers, uh, and of which I'm both of those things. It is really <laughs> fun. A really fun read. Um, and I, I am personally, I'm a big historical fiction fan. And one of my favorites when I was thinking about all the books I love to read is uh, The Flight of Gemma Hardy by Margot Lip. I think you say her name, Livesey or Livesey. Um, so it's the modern retelling of Jane Eyre. And um, so it's an enchanted story of a courageous girl searching for her place in the world. And the setting is in the Orkney, Orkney Islands in Scotland. And this is like early 1900. But I always learn something when I read um, historical fiction, and I love to just sort of go back in time or, and, you know, you learn about that time in history, but also these amazing characters that these very talented authors, we get, you know, I get to meet them and hang out with them for a while while I'm reading. I have the golden spoon on my shelf at home, so I can't wait to dive into that one. All right. What about you, Maria? What have you been reading recently? Um, I can't say that I've been reading as much as you ladies. I've been more presenting, more talking than reading lately. But I do have one that I like to recommend. It's called Eat to Beat Your Diet, Burn Fat, Heal Your Metabolism, and Live Longer. Um, and this is a book by Dr. William Lee. And, you know, summer's just around the corner. Um, you know, all year round, but especially as we get closer to the summer, I'm looking for ways to better my health and lose a couple of pounds. And this title, this book really caught my attention because it's not a, it's not focused on restricting yourself and, and drinking a lot of water and just dieting. It just, it, it talks about how you can use the foods that you already eat to beat the diet and, and lose weight and increase your metabolism and that's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, I just started uh, looking at the book and I've just been making myself a list of some of the foods that I really liked that he uh, mentions that I should increase in my diet. Um, I'm not a big water drinker so um, he mentions to re if you're not drinking so much water to replace it with um, fruits that have in vegetables that have a lot of water in it like cucumbers and watermelons and those kind of things that are very juicy um, can also help in increasing your intake of liquids and detox your body um, it is a big it is a big book um, it's also available in audio but um, um only a couple of pages into the book, but I highly recommend it. Again, it's by Dr. William um, W. Lee, and uh, is easy read, and um, you'll be taking a lot of notes. Highly recommend it. Um, I'm also a children's librarian, so I, I tend to read a lot of uh, great books, and I run a graphic novel book club here at the Pawtucket Library in Spanish, and I never really have read graphic novels before, but I recently read with the kids, um, The Bad Guys. Have you guys heard The Bad Guys? Oh my God, that book, I was laughing from beginning <laughs> to end. And I know that parents think like, oh, I don't want my kids reading graphic novels. That's not really reading because it has a lot of pictures. But I'll have to say that even 
myself as an adult, the illustrations were very captivating and kept me wanting to uh, read the book even more, which helped me understand why the kids are so involved into graphic novels. Um, I think graphic novels are a perfect way to get a non-reader to read uh, books and even adults, because now uh, the adult graphic novel collections are increasing because that's the world that we're living in. Everything's visual, audio, all at once. And graphic novels um, gives that to you in a way that other books may not. So um, highly uh, recommend the bad guys. And I'm hoping to uh, see the movie soon. <laughs> and um, those are my recommendations. Fantastic. So I wanted to mention an audiobook that I just finished and I thought it was very well narrated. So uh, Lisa, you might want to check it out. Um, it's called For Small Creatures Such As We. And the subtitle is Rituals for Finding Meaning in Our Unlikely World. And it's by Sasha Sagan, who is Carl Sagan's daughter. Um, so she talks a lot about how her worldview was kind of influenced by her parents, not just her father, who was, you know, a very acclaimed scientist. And but both of her parents, because her mom was a director and was involved in directing Cosmos, the show that, that Carl Sagan hosted in order to teach people about physics and and um almost said astrology. That's the wrong one. Astronomy. <laughs> uh, but it's very interesting because the premise of the book is how despite religion or specific kind of traditions and rituals, that they all have these commonalities across the world. And those commonalities see like are all rooted in like the the physical reality of our of our world and of our existence. So she talks about like nature being the root of a lot of different rituals and celebrations in terms of like, you know, spring, celebrating spring coming, summer, uh, fall, and then like winter, the seasons and and, you know, that that's that's the moving of the earth and, and the way that the sun hits our earth depending on what position it's in and then um and a lot of the other rituals are are biological based on like biological milestones in our lives you know people having children those children getting older um and so it was really interesting because she kind of talks about like making these rituals and the importance of marking these rituals and marking the the real kind of amazing quality of the world and all and all the kind of things that needed to happen for all of us to be here the way that things are right now um and it was especially powerful for me as someone who is pretty secular and and kind of she she refers to it a lot for herself as being a non-believer and I, and I found that I found that I resonated with that and kind of her world um, outlook a lot. And so, yeah, I found the book kind of very comforting because it, yeah, it's kind of about making meaning when, when you don't really buy into the traditional way that people have been making meaning for thousands of years, you know, with organized religion. Um, but also, but without, without putting organized religion down. Like it's really saying like they were on to something. They were observing the same things we're observing. We just kind of have more answers about that now than they did. Um, so 
It sounds fascinating. Very late. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it's a great narrator, it will captivate. So thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, she she narrates it herself. So um, and I think this one might be one of the first times that I listened to an audiobook actually narrated by the author. Um, but I think it actually did add something to it that it was like, you know, her telling her, you know, telling she gave a lot of anecdotes about her life, her father, her daughter, her husband. Um, so it was nice kind of hearing her tell her own stories about her life. Right. That's how I felt about finding me. It was, um, yeah, it was just incredible. Yeah. And I think I discovered it because I was putting together like a display of hopeful books. And so I was like looking at book lists. But obviously, when you're looking at book lists online, not all of the books you have in your collection. So you kind of have to scan the book list for the books that you have, but like to get ideas. And this was the one of the ones that like we didn't own, but I was reading about it. And I was like, oh, i I'm going to put that like on my to read list because that sounded really good. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So besides reading, have you all been watching anything interesting lately? Um, I'll, I'll jump in again. Um, I, I, I finished it a couple months ago, but a huge White Lotus fan. I don't know if you guys have watched that. That was um, really both seasons. I don't know. I, I go back and forth. Did I like the first season better? Did I like the second season better? Um, but really, really love that. And then for some reason, for years now with my kids, we revisit, which kind of reminds me of White Lotus a little, but we revisit some of the uh, classic Survivor seasons um, and we analyze them differently all the time. So um, do that quite a bit. And then the ones that I'm looking forward to coming out, The Morning Show, season three, um, Apple TV, that's a great one with Reese Witherspoon. Um, and, and just like that on HBO, um, of course that's the sex in the city reboot. Um, but love those shows and then funny show too. dead to me. If anyone hasn't watched dead to me, that's really funny. Maria. Um, lately I haven't really been watching anything. Um, um, I like watching TV shows with celebrities about celebrities lives. <laughs> so I like to watch the entertainment tonight. It was happening out in uh, celebrities and their lives and their kids and so on. But um, I am looking forward to the news as and Furious movie that's coming out this weekend. Um, it's number 10. And I like fast rides and action movies like that. So that's, that's something that I'm looking forward to watching this weekend. Uh, let's see, what have I been watching? Well, I love Jeopardy, so I watch that often. And um, my husband and I enjoy watching that together during the week. Um, and of course, it's not the same without Alex Trebek, and we all know that. But I think the hosts <laughs> do, do a pretty good job. Um, something else I, I enjoy watching is George Clark's Amazing Spaces. Um, it's so entertaining. So he explores and visits the world of small builds where people turn spaces into places to live, work, and play. Uh, so for an example, I mean, I don't know, it's amazing how he, where he finds all these people. And he's, a, he's, he's the kind of guy that you meet and you're like, hey, you know, it'd be kind of fun to, to meet him in person and just sort of follow him around on these, these shows, the show he, they film. So for example, some, uh, I watched a, uh, an episode recently where someone bought this railway car and it, it was just like, it needed so much work. And um, somebody bought it. They turned it into a camper. People who build tree houses or um, like a, I think there was a, what was the other one? Like somebody, they had like a, a tugboat, this couple. And they, uh, it was just needed a ton of work. 
but they transformed it. It's always fun to see how people transform it. And, and a lot of them are on very limited budgets. But sometimes what, other, what also makes the show great is that sometimes their ideas work and sometimes they don't. But they just they just keep moving along with that. And um, I also like to watch, I think it's called Chef's Table or At the Chef's Table. But um, one of my favorite uh, chefs is, I've never been to a restaurant. I think she's got a place in Asheville, North Carolina and a couple other places, but it's Vivian Howard. And she is quite, uh, she's a really interesting woman. And she is, uh, her, her, her work, her work is about authentic Southern cooking where she grew up and getting to the root of recipes and, um, you know, why, you know, we always made it this way or, you know, how did grandma make it or Nana or your aunt and that sort of thing. And, um, that's something I find very interesting in my family too, you know, cause I grew up watching my mother cook my aunt Mickey cook and uh, older sisters. And just, I think that's just so fascinating how people come together to, to make food to share. So those are two things that I would recommend. Yeah. And sometimes getting the recipe kind of like the way your Nana or whoever made it could sometimes be a process. Like I was having this conversation with some people the other day that there are certain family recipes that like conceptually I understand how they're made because I cook all the time but and I'm always like could you just write down like how you do it and she'll be like I don't have to I'm just all you do is this and then like proceed a 10 minute explanation that I'm not gonna remember you know two months when I actually go and make that thing and I I find too that sometimes when I'm baking I'll, I'll hear my aunt Mickey or my mother's voice in my head and and my mother, no, I think it was my aunt Mickey. She'd always be like, clean up as you go along. Because when I bake, especially, it's like, <laughs> it's like everything is everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, clean up as you go along. And sometimes like, okay, I hear you. And I'm like, oh, man, I'll just do it later. And, <laughs> you know, I got flour on my face and I have stuff all over the place. But I, you know, just getting into it. So I can but, totally um, relate to that, too, because especially with Mother's Day being yesterday, my mom passed 10 years ago. And whenever I feel sad or down, I, I make her meatballs. I just, oh. I know it's in my head. I don't even have the recipe. And I try to tell my girls, you have to make these with me at some point. I want to carry these on from generation to generation, but it makes me feel closer to her. And just, and I hear those voices too, clean up and, you know, make the mess, but clean up as you go along. <laughs> I tell my partner that I get into my work. Like when I'm cooking, I just, I just get into it. I'll clean it up after, but I'm just, I get into my work. <laughs> That's creative. You just got to, you're making a masterpiece. And, <laughs> and That's what I about my husband. all over the kitchen. <laughs> um, so I just quickly, I'll say that I fairly recently finished a comedy musical series on Hulu called Up Here. Um, and it has, uh, oh no, now I totally blanked on her name. She voiced Katara in the, uh, Avatar Last Airbender. Mae Williams? I think that's it. She also was in Scott Pilgrim. Um, but so she was the star of it and it takes place in 1999 and she's moving to New York after having been in a kind of like stagnating, unhappy relationship that you uh well I don't want to spoil too much but she she gets out of that relationship because she decides she's going to go move to New York and become a writer and it's all about kind of the trials and tribulations of her becoming a writer but also kind of like adjusting to New York life and and meeting this um 
man who's also, you know, young and trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life because he's currently in, in finance and, you know, he's trying to convince himself that he likes it. But you can tell, like, as the series goes on, that his heart isn't really in it. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I liked the the plot and the premise of it. I don't know if I liked the music of the musical part that much. Like it wasn't, they weren't like super catchy songs that I was like, you know, singing afterwards. But uh, the plot was fun. It was very funny. Um, and now I want there to be a season two because they left season one off on like a cliffhanger that I'd like. I'm, like I, I, I like th- I was thinking about it like a week after it ended, like the whole week after I finished watching it. I was just like, "How? What are they gonna do? How did it? Why? How can you end it like that?" So um, again, not to spoil that ending or or any kind of the twists and turns in it, but if you um, if you like kind of romantic comedies and you could stand there to be a okay musical element to it i think it'll be and it's like eight episodes so it's a fun quick watch um if that's your jam and we'll return to the show after a quick break looking for a movie to watch canopy has over thirty thousand feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free Log in using your Cranston library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find the link to sign into Canopy today. online archive featuring keyword searchable local historical newspapers, including the Cranston Herald, is now available online to Cranston Public Library cardholders. The archive includes documents from 1885 to 1977. Additional newspaper archives from 1977 to 2016 are available separately from inside the library only. This archive is brought to you by Advantage Preservation and funded by the Champlin Foundation. Visit cranstonlibrary.org databases to find out more. All right. So I want us to have time to talk all about the sensory friendly inclusive group. You know what the sensory friendly inclusive group is and why you guys started it. So the sensory friendly inclusive group is uh, what it does. It seeks to empower librarians to better serve individuals of all ages and backgrounds who are neurodiverse or on the autism spectrum in their families. And by expanding programming, outreach, partnerships, and resources that welcome all abilities. So um, this group was started uh, by Babs and I um, back in 2018. So uh, it was basically just two passionate librarians who at the time were the only two who were doing sensory story time. And one day the conversation came up. I was like, Babs, we should do a presentation. And she's like, yeah, we should do that. <laughs> and then one, pre- one presentation led to like, oh my gosh, wow. Now we're doing our second presentation, our third presentation, our fourth. <laughs> it became one thing after the other. Um, and the whole idea was at the time, 
was just to get uh, other librarians to do sensory story time. But then with time, it, it changed. And um, Babs, did you want to add to that about that sure, experience so in the beginning? Absolutely. So it was, uh, as Maria has shared, it um, it blossomed rather quickly because it had a lot of really great energy around this concept and knowing that we were reaching underserved populations in our community. And as soon as the word got out that this is what we were doing, people were just coming in and, uh, you know, as, as Maria shared, children with autism and uh, neurodiverse diversity and children on the spectrum and their families and people are just so it, it was it was amazing um, and they were feeling really comfortable coming into the library because for some of the parents and the children they hadn't been feeling comfortable about a lot of going out into a lot of places um, so that was fantastic and it just grew and grew and what I really love about this work that we do is that we're many librarians across the state of Rhode Island joined and we all work together and continue to work together to support all of the people in our communities that, um, and so, you know, like Greenville and our surrounding communities. And my theory, and I know I can't speak for Maria and Lisa, but I'm guessing it's the same as that. Um, if we can do it, you can do it. And many librarians came to observe our story times and it was sort of like, you know, what do I do? How do I do this? But it's very exciting um, how things began to move forward. Could we go a little bit into what it means to have sensory-friendly programming? I mean, as a library, we welcome everybody, all ages and abilities for all our programming. But I think in particular for the sensory-friendly programs, um, for instance, if you're going to show a sensory-friendly movie, you do it in the auditorium. You know, we have an auditorium here and we have a wonderful sound system, but you may do it at a lower um, volume. You may keep the lights dim. You allow... Patrons that are here, if they need to walk around during the movie, you may put a basket of fidgets out, something for them to do. Um, just you want to make it as warm and welcoming as possible for everybody. Um, the story times, I have to be honest, I haven't done a sensory friendly story time in a bit. Um, I've taken the sensory inclusive programming in a little bit of a different direction, but it's like Maria always said, because I, you know, I was one of those people in one of Maria and Bab's presentation. It was 2018 at NILA. I went to their program and I got inspired and invigorated. And I realized we had a huge hole in our library for that programming for that particular demographic. Um, we want them to feel welcome at all times. You'll have parents that will, will constantly say, oh, I can't come to your story times. My children are bothering everyone else. And that's that's probably the essence of what started everything and what we really felt passionate about, that everyone deserves to come to the library and have programs for them. The story times are like the story times you normally do. It's not that they're different. You're just changing your style a little bit to accommodate um, a child that may be rocking back and forth or a child that may need, like I said, the fidgets or the different activities, or you're just catering what you already know to an audience that needs just a little bit of modification, if if that makes sense. Um, Babs, do you want to continue? Sure. I was just, and I absolutely agree with everything um, you have shared. Something that I, that happened for, to me over time was I couldn't quite put my finger on it, um, but it was learning to let go of letting go of what I'm supposed to do sort of in a traditional story hour and continuing to be adaptable to, to 
suggestions. And not that I wouldn't do that in, you know, my preschool story hour, toddler story hour. Um, but, um, and like we all have learned or we know, you know, you meet one child with autism, you met one child with autism. Um, and I guess in some ways maybe becoming vulnerable in terms of um, it's okay to um, sort of stop midstream and just, you know, you're constantly evaluating what's going on all around you, but it's okay if somebody has to leave in the middle or they need to roll around on the floor or, or um, they're not, they need to be under the table or whatever it is that they need to do in order to feel safe you know, within their own body and so forth. Um, and I've learned so much from all the parents that I have uh, worked with, but, um, and along with the physical setup, dimming the lights in the room, um, keeping this very basic setup. And, and when I do my preschool sport toddler story hour, I don't use a, a picture schedule, but I always use, you know, maybe wouldn't I could, but, you know, using the picture schedule and a lot of children respond to that for sure. So uh, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I've definitely learned so much as I've gone along. And I'll tell you one thing I know, always have bubbles on hand. <laughs> number one for me. I think that's just children's programming in general. Like children's programming is always improved by bubbles. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. (laughs) When in doubt, break out the the bubbles. Yeah. (laughs) Is there anything you want to add, Maria? Yeah, I just, I totally agree with what Lisa said, what Bab says, and, um, you know, the, the neurodiverse community, it's a community that um, is an underserved population. Um, you know, just getting in them into the library is, 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 it would be a success. Just getting them into the library and making them feel welcome, making them feel like they're not being judged making them feel like they have a part in the library. This is the reason why we offer these programs, whether it is sensory-friendly movies, sensory story time, or book clubs, or just having agencies in the community have meetings here at the library, uh, a place that they can call a home for them as well. And this is the reason why we, we do this. And also uh, to feel like their child, their teen, their adult can participate in these kind of programs just like anyone else can as well. Um, And this is what the word that we want to get out into the community, that we're here to serve you. We're here to make you feel welcome. And if you have ideas, please share with us because we want um, you to become involved and the programs that we offer, or what can we do for you? We often think about, you know, what can we do for the community? But the way we're going to learn is by communicating with the community themselves. So um, we we want you to come visit us and let us know um, what would work for you. And sometimes it's not just programming. Sometimes it's just creating a little space in the library, a little quiet spot where the child can just have a corner to themselves where they can read a book or they were just um, just looking around and experiencing the library or uh, or just want to use a computer um, or just um, or just want to come in to quickly check out some things and and, and then check out and that's it. And um, that's what this sensory and friendly inclusive group is all about. It's about bringing these 
ideas on how can we increase and have a better relationship with the neurodiverse community. Something I wanted to add um, quickly is that uh, in terms of speaking to librarians who are considering um, doing this in their library, if they haven't already, is um, that I completely understand that adding one more program to what is already a very busy schedule and adding one more experience to a very full plate um, may seem like way too much, but I can promise you that it was well, it is well worth it. And it will be, you'll be, like Maria has shared and Lisa, that you will be providing a story time, a play date, or a program for children who really, and families who really need a place to go. And um, as we've talked about experience the library. And so the main goal is to um, welcome the families with the best outcome being that they will feel comfortable making um, their community library regular destination as we've all we've been discussing. But, you know, you can come to Greenville anytime and observe my story time. And I can't speak for Maria and um, Lisa, but I'm quite sure that um, they're also be welcoming and to just see, I mean, we're all, we all do a little bit differently, but with the basic, same basic goals in mind. Um, and plus you will, and ask any questions and give it a whirl. Um, so that's my uh, thoughts on that because like we all know we're um, very, very busy and the better you are at doing something, then it's like, oh gosh, just keep bringing it on, bring it on, do more. <laughs> and uh, it's like, sometimes you have to say, wow, wait a minute, hold on, hold the phone, but this is, it, we, you can do it. And I, I just it? wanted to add to Babs too, um, to, to the librarians out there that are listening. I think for myself, when I really wanted to do this, I was so passionate about it, but I was terrified. How am I going to do this? I think Babs said it earlier. Like, we're not experts on this, but we're passionate about it. And I think that's why we're in the field we're in. Um, but I heard Maria's voice in my head a lot. And she already says, girl, you have the tools already. You're already doing it. And it's <laughs> true. We're, we're already doing it. And nobody is looking to us to be the expert. They're just looking, like, like Bab said, for a safe place to bring their family to enjoy the, the, time, the story time. And it, it is probably one of the most rewarding type of programming that, um, that we do, that I, that, I, that I love it. And I love the families I connect with. I have one little girl, Hazel, that comes in quite a bit for Peppa Pig books, loves Peppa Pig. So, you know, when you go to Kohl's and you see all those animals that are $5 at the door, there's Peppa Pig. So I buy Peppa Pig. I have her at my desk. Every time Hazel comes to visit, she grabs the Peppa Pig and hugs it and she finds her Peppa Pig, you know, book. So like Maria said, it's not sometimes just doing these story times. It's just connecting any way you can with um, these children and families and, and know that, that the library is somewhere they can always be. And so back to more kind of specifically what the sensory friendly inclusive group does. So you guys are a group of librarians who are or would like to start doing sensory friendly programming. So how does the group help support those librarians who are getting started and who want to implement this programming? So um, what the sensory friendly inclusive does is we uh, have meetings uh, September through May every other month 
um, both in person and virtually. And what we do at these meetings is we try to introduce topic uh, ideas that could work at your library. Uh, one of the presentations we had at our meeting was called um, Sensory Friendly Bags. So uh, at some of the public libraries throughout the United States, they have sensory friendly bags, which is considered a common bag, which would be something that librarians can offer to families with um, individuals who are either autistic or who just need something to, to help them calm when they come visit the library. And in those bags, they would include headphones, fidgety toys, um, it would have some communication cards um, just to let the child child know or the adult know that they can um, that they can use that and to, they can wear it to feel more comfortable around a lot of people or or a lot of a lot of noise. Um, other presentations were on sensory story time, how to implement that. Um, we also have had presentations on, um, on taking those first steps in training the staff because like um, Lisa said, we're not trained to work with the neurodiverse community, but we talked about um, autism and what's that, what's it called, uh, BAPS, Autism, We're Connected. Um, oh, I was just gonna mention that, yes. Libraries and Autism, yeah, that's based out of the um, Fanwood Memorial Library in Fanwood, New Jersey. Um, and just for um, with to your your point, Maria, what's great about this organization in in New Jersey is um, you contact them asking for the for uh, two things. They'll send you for free. Uh, they'll send you decals that uh, read "Libraries and Autism Were Connected," so you can put them on the doors of your library. I have we have in the children's room and in the front door and in the YA. And adult areas um so you can put it there and they'll send you a dvd and this is a big important part was the um because it's also about not just children's and young adult but it's the library as a whole in terms of training staff at the surf desk and the reference desk because we're not not i mean we're not all trained we don't we don't know and so this dvd is uh from the family memorial library in, in new jersey so they'll it's it's about best practices to use in the library when serving patrons with autism and so at our staff meetings, working with our assistant director and director, we have um, shown these this DVD. And it's only like, I don't know what, half an hour or something. But it's very well done and quite helpful. And I have a great story based on that decal, if we have a few minutes. Do we have, um, yeah, go ahead. So, um, yeah, so I, I took that advice from Babs. I contacted the organization. We had our one of our full-day staff meetings watched the, the DVD, but then I put the decal on the children's room. And maybe a month or so later, I had a high school senior come in and ask he had autism and he wanted to volunteer to shelf books. And one of the pages that worked for me went to school with him. And after he left, he said, oh, no, 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 you can't have him shelf books. He's amazing. He has a little YouTube channel at school. He interviews the teachers. He's so talented. So um, I'm so grateful my page shared that with me because this gentleman, um, his name is Will. The summer of 2019, I had Will do story times for me, six of them in the summer. With um, He has a puppet friend named Milliam. And um, what a wonderful way to show the community um, how welcoming we all are 
and should be. And he did story times for me and, and they were probably more popular than my own story times. Um, a lovely, he had, I got him a nice feature article in the Barrington times. And then, um, he went back, he went to college for his first year. It was like a transition school between high school and college. And then COVID hit and he contacted me and wanted to help me during COVID. So he became my partner. Um, and he recorded his own story time he um it was called will and milliam the scoop because we had certain um copyright laws that we had to abide by so he created this whole thing his mom was a huge help and they were wonderful because as we all know we were working home trying to figure out how to keep connected with our community and so we would put his story times up on our youtube channel and again much more popular than my own story times um and now I believe he might be a senior in college. We've lost touch a little bit, but it was just another way that these avenues open, especially from just seeing that libraries and autism were connected sticker. It, it was, um, it was wonderful. So again, these little surprises pop up just from having these communication pieces for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Cause I feel like a lot of the narrative around a lot of different, like, intellectual and developmental disabilities um, is like focused on what they can't do. So I feel like that's such a lovely story about even with the person who went to school with him, like, no, like here's where his real skill set lies. And that's what you guys should be using as a library and really focus on like him and what he could bring to your library and and his community as a, as a library patron and a, and a member of that community. That has happened in my library, too. We have a a young man named Dylan. He's, I believe, 21 or 22 or something like that. And he's an artist. He also volunteers here at the library. He shelves uh, board books and DVDs. And then at the end, he he sits down and he creates, every week he creates bookmarks for the kids. And um, he's an awesome artist. And uh, his favorite things to draw are monsters, but he can draw about just about anything. And during April vacation week, we had him for the first time do a program for the kids. And it was very well attended and it was very touching and maybe want to cry, cry because the kids were recreating his characters in their own bookmarks. And he would show them step by step how to draw these different characters. And it was just it was so overwhelming and such a good feeling that I could make him feel like a silver star for a day. And um, he, when he did his program, he did his own presentation. He was very well prepared. And I just looked at him like this kid has so much to offer. And, um, and that's what I want to let librarians know, let these neurodiverse individuals into your libraries because, you know, they have so much more to offer us and, and we to them. And um, the way we're all going to find out is by opening those doors. So quickly, I was just wondering if there is any upcoming meetings or, or things that the Sensory Friendly Inclusive Group is doing that you're really excited about and also how people can get involved and and maybe you know, attend these things that you're excited about? So, um, so the Sensory Friendly Inclusive Group just had their last meeting uh, earlier this month. And um, we take time off during the summertime. We don't meet again until uh, September. 
Um, what we're doing uh, differently um, in the group now is that now we're not only focusing in services and programs for children, but also for teens and for adults. So starting in September, we're going to be focusing on more of the adult programming. We're going to be um, connecting with different uh, adult librarians, and we're going to have them do a panel discussion to share with other librarians what they have been doing and what has worked for their library to help encourage them um, to try these different programs at their library. And um, so that's going to be coming up in September. But um, my hope is that we will continue to uh, change it up in each meeting by going from children to teen to adults. And um, what the community can do is to find out about these programs and participate is by uh, visiting our, um, we have a Facebook page, uh, the Sensor-Friendly Inclusive Group. Please find um, on Facebook and give it a like and follow us. If you would like to receive um, an email about all the different things that are not only happening at the library, but also in the community, you can follow our blog, our Rhode Island Sensory-Friendly Inclusive blog. And there um, we post about um, events that are happening in the community and also what's happening in the libraries. And for the librarians, we have this uh, sensory lift guide called Ola's Sensory Lift Guides. Um, I'm sorry, Ola's Rhode Island Sensory Lift Guide. And there you will find all kind of resources, including our past presentations, recordings, uh, booklets, resource recommendations. Um, you'll find a list of the different libraries who are offering sensory-friendly programs and the different community agencies that we have collaborated with. All right, and we'll, we'll put some of those places online as links in the show notes uh, to help people find all of that. Um, so we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. And I thought, given the topic of our episode, I would ask you all, what is your favorite book that highlights the neurodiverse community? And, and I'll leave it up to you, whether that's like a children's book with a character that represents that community or some book that you found helpful in your journey to learn more about working with that community. That's a good question. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if it helped me in my journey, but one book I could definitely recommend um, one of my favorite children's authors is Leslie Connor and her book, Anybody Here Seen Frenchie. Um, I think that was her latest book out and it was about, um, oh gosh, what did they call him? He wasn't, they didn't call him, um, autism on the spectrum. I think he was, oh, he was nonverbal, but they used a different term and I love the term and I can't remember what it was. Um, but it was about the friendship between two two children, one that's nonverbal and one that's not. And um, it does open your eyes to the subtleties that we may miss along the way in our relationships and just very minor things that you can change and um, feel more comfortable. Because I think sometimes people shy away from the unknown, whether it's um, a learning disability, a child with autism, an adult that has disabilities. I think they're afraid sometimes to just open up and ask questions. And this book um, by Leslie Connor, anybody here seen Frenchie, is beautifully written, and it does um, 
touch upon the nuances and the simple things that we can do just to bridge the gap and and um, realize we're all the same, even if we're just slightly different. Comes to mind um, for me is the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Um, so it was, um, as you may recall, uh, there, it's about a boy, I think he's 50, about 15 years old and he's, um, I had to refresh my memory here. Um, <laughs> but he's described as a mathematician with some behavioral difficulties. Um, so it, Asper, he, he has Asperger's um, syndrome, but um, it's just, I think the takeaway for that book is besides the fact that it was very well, well written, it's about the difference about being an outsider and seeing the world and surprising in, in different ways and just the different perspective. And one book I'm finally reading now that I keep meaning to read is The Reason I Jump. And it's about, um, it's written by a boy with autism. I think he's from Japan, but it's just his point of view in terms of what, how he perceives the world and how it is not that much different from other people. But it's just, you know, a, from it, it's it's really something. Like, it's a kind of book that I can read, like, part of it, and then I need to process it and sort of digest it. And then, you know, I'll read something else and go back. But, um, yeah, that's yeah. another one. And, of course, anything by Temple Grandin, but... Yeah, that's what I wanted to recommend. There's a picture book called The Girl Who Thought in Pictures, the story of Dr. Temple Grandin. Um, and it's written by... Julie Julia Finley Muska with beautiful illustrations by Danielle Riley. And the reason I recommend that picture book is because I've had the opportunity to meet Dr. Temple um, herself. And I've also seen the movie based on her life. And um, one thing I didn't mention in here is that my daughter is autistic. And when you get first a diagnosis of your child beyond the spectrum, you're like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? This is this is you know overwhelming. But hearing her story really is inspirational. I mean, she was a child who um just thought in pictures, she didn't start speaking until the age of four. Um, and this was back in the 1960s, 70s, where um autism was not talked about often and it was just sort of like oh no they'll grow out of it and um you know her mother had to advocate a lot for services and help for her daughter and guess what she became a doctor she's uh working at a university she's uh going from state to state um talking about uh the different books that she has read on how to uh better help your child find their own voice here in, 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 in the world. And um, I think both children and adults would enjoy reading that picture book and, and, and let them know that, hey, you do have something to offer um, in, in the community, in the world. And here's my story and how I started. And hopefully that'll get uh, kids inspired and, and adults to, uh, to not so worry so much about the now, but working towards like, you know, yeah, my child is going to be okay. And um, I really love her story. I know that um, when I met her, my question to her was, you know, I my daughter seems to understand everything I tell her. I don't use pictures or anything, but 
she she doesn't talk to me in words. And, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And she said to her, she told me that to give her a reason, to give her a reason to want to communicate and talk. And I'll never forget that. And, um, and yeah, so, um, you know, Dr. Uh, Temple Grandin wrote many, many different um, books. Um, so please check out her website and check out some of her books because um, they will help a lot. Quickly, I just wanted to also touch upon um, sometimes, you know, especially now that things seem back to normal and people are coming back into our buildings and it's a wonderful thing. But as like just speaking to the librarians out there that may want to try to partake down this journey, um, think sometimes outside of your library walls and the community partners you may be able to work with. Um, I think Babs mentioned Head Start. Um, and I started a wonderful relationship with my high school in town. And, um, you know, I love how Maria said, like, you know, it's not just children, but teens and adults as well that we want to service. And so since September, the high schoolers, the life skills class in my town, they've been coming for a field trip to our library and they come for about an hour and a half and they take the bus here and we do a simple lesson. And um, sometimes the therapy dog comes. Um, it doesn't really matter. You know, each, each time it's different, but how special they feel to get on the bus and to come here for a field trip and how um, we love it when they come here. And they just invited me to their community partners evening to see if maybe once they graduate from high school, they could possibly volunteer here. So you just never know where your partners may be. Um, so just keep, keep it open that there are people out there outside of your library walls as well that um, you can touch upon. And also the Autism Project. Yes. And for you librarians who are new and just getting started, or, or you're just new to this whole, oh, what is this sensory-friendly inclusive group? Um, just come to our meetings um, and, and just, you'll immediately connect with other librarians. They'll share with you what they've done, what has worked for them, what has not worked. Because we're not only talking about program ideas, but we're also talking about our successes, our challenges, and we sort of pump each other up and get excited about doing these different programs. And sometimes you'll say, oh, Maria, I've been doing this program, but no one has been coming. What should I do? And then we'll come up with another idea. And it's that's the whole idea of this group. We just keep each other motivated and keep each other going and educating ourselves and inspiring others um, just, to, to do the same. And we're really friendly. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> we're a friendly bunch. And just keep 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 coming. You know, we just, we have a conversation just uh, at the meeting last week at Greenville and uh, people stayed after the meeting and just like, it's a time to uh, know, let, you know, let your voice be heard, share some funny stories, something that happened that you wanted to share or like you say, Maria successes and something's like, well, that really bombed. I guess I won't be doing that again <laughs> or whatever it is. And uh, we're here for each other. This is exactly the purpose of this group. You know, it's just giving them that awesome. little push. You won't regret joining this group. We are totally making a difference. And, and sometimes, too, we alternate our meetings where we may have a support group type of meeting, but then we'll welcome in an expert. I think for my library meeting a couple months back, Maria welcomed the music therapy expert. And that was wonderful. And it just teaches us ways we can incorporate some of these techniques into our own programming. So it's a nice balance of friendship, camaraderie, support, and some professional programming expertise that we can weave in. 
All right. Well, thank you all for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to weigh in on our last chapter question, you can reach out to us uh, via email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. and why you guys formed the group. Um, All right, I will call her back. (laughs) Hold on, let me just...